Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. There is time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in this time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is, has already been, and what will be, has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and in the place of justice, wickedness was there. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is a summertime sermon. Just relax. <laughs> Take it easy. Just listen. Uh, just trying to give you a little break. And uh, so uh, in giving you a break, I thought uh, we should have something from wisdom literature uh, just to whet our appetite for wisdom literature from the scripture. Uh, three books of the Bible are... Uh, Wisdom Literature, Job, uh, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And uh, what Wisdom Literature is, is how to live a good life, or how to live the good life. And the Hebrew word for wisdom, uh, chokmah, uh, means skill in living. Skill in living. And what happens is the wise person looks at life, and as he looks at life, he comes up with sayings or ideas that would be helpful for you to live a good life, things that are important for you to know. Uh, the book of Proverbs, you know, has sometimes short, pithy little sayings. Um, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. <laughs> um, here's one I remember from my childhood that my parents made me memorize. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. <laughs> but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Now, I don't know why my parents made me memorize that one, but they, but they did. Uh, short, short and pithy, uh, reminding you that discipline is good for children. Uh, you can't just let them do whatever they want. Uh, by the way, same thing's true of adults. You can't let them do whatever they want. Uh, the book of Job, another piece of wisdom literature, looks at a wise man who undergoes suffering in his life. 
And it, and it tries to answer the question, well, why do bad things happen to good people? And what should good people do as a result of them? And the book of Job's got a great answer to that. And the answer is there's no answer to the question why other than that God brings it into our life so that we will draw closer to him and learn more about him. Uh, that's why we have suffering. So that we will get on our knees and turn to him in prayer and reach out and grab hold of him and hold on for dear life. Because otherwise, uh, some of the suffering that we go through, you can't take it. It's hard to, it's hard to make it. And uh, he does it so that we will grab hold of him and realize that that's what is most important in life, a relationship with, with God. The book of Ecclesiastes, also wisdom literature. Now, it is maybe one of the most difficult to interpret because Solomon looks at the world and he looks at it as a man, a wise man, and he comes up with the idea, the main idea, that everything is meaningless. Think about it. A Christian's writing that? <laughs> a godly person is saying everything is meaningless? Well, that's what he says. In fact, um, I was asked once what my favorite verse was. And I said, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. <laughs> that's right from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. That's kind of like his theme for the book. Uh, I just turned there right now. It says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's a godly person saying everything has no meaning. Everything is completely empty. One of the keys to the book is that he will often say, under the sun, Notice chapter 1, verse 3. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? You see it in chapter 3 in your, in your scripture passage, uh, verse 16. I saw something else under the sun. He says that a number of times. And what I think he means by that is if you just look at life on the human plane, under the sun where we all live, life is meaningless. It makes no sense. It's like we're, we're hamsters running on a wheel. <laughs> you ever feel like that? I'm a hamster running on the wheel. I'm doing a lot of work, but I'm not going anywhere, <laughs> right? You ever feel like you're a hamster on a wheel? Solomon says we all are. <laughs> we're all hamsters on the wheel. We're not getting anywhere. When you live life under the sun on the pure human plane, nothing's being accomplished, we're not getting anywhere, uh, that's life under the sun. Uh, as believers, we need to live our lives above the sun. Above the sun. Life has meaning for us and takes its grandest meaning because we have a connection to God and we escape what is under the sun so that our life has meaning. We're not just hamsters on the wheel because we're doing something for God, something that has permanence. But if it's not for God, we're not really accomplishing anything. Here's some things about wisdom literature. There are general observations about the world, general truths about life and the world. 
wisdom literature usually depicts the sovereignty of God. God's in control of everything. It calls on responsible conduct from human beings. And it teaches us skill in living. And the book of Ecclesiastes talks about life under the sun. It's a very negative outlook on life and human endeavor. Another favorite that Solomon has is he says, we're chasing after the wind or we're chasing after smoke or another way of saying we're, we're living a meaningless life. It's like being a hamster on a wheel. It's like saying life is a rat race. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 brings out some of these ideas. Uh, Bob already read it. Um, you've probably heard this passage read before. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Time to be born and a time to die. And then he lists off a number of pairs of times. Notice these thoughts about time. First of all, time is beautiful. Time is beautiful. In fact, it seems to have a nice rhythm and a nice balance to it. Time's not boring. Uh, just give yourself a couple of days <laughs> and you'll be living in a completely different time. <laughs> Either whether it's a time, for, a time to go to a funeral or a time for a little baby to be born or whether it's time to plant or a time to uh, harvest or a time to go to war. Uh, I know within your, within your lifetimes you've had all kinds of different things happen. Interesting. It makes life interesting. In fact, that's what he says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. There's a second idea with regard to time. Time is tyrannical. Time is tyrannical. I don't even know if that's a word. Sounds good. It means time takes hold of you and you have no choice about what happens. How many of you have scheduled the date of your death? <laughs> Nobody's done that yet. <laughs> you don't have it on the calendar <laughs> because you don't get to choose, right? You don't get to choose. That's chosen for you. By the way, you didn't even get to choose when you were born. I know nobody asked me, David, when do you want to be born? It's out of your hands, right? Time is tyrannical. We don't even choose when we go to war. All of a sudden, it's on it, on us. And you're going, well, I guess we, I guess we got to do it. What else can we do? You don't get to choose when to plant. I know I was asking Mac back in April, Mac, are you in your field yet? I don't know why Mac wasn't in his field in April. Well, I, I know why. And it's not because he was lazy. <laughs> because the field was muddy, right? We had a wet spring. You had no choice about when to plant. It's decided for you. Just like you have no choice when to harvest. Time is tyrannical. That's frustrating. In fact, if you read through the passage, I think, he, I think he's trying to give you the idea that we are like ping pong balls. And you know what a ping pong ball does? It just goes back and forth across the net. And that's what happens in the time of your life. You go from one thing to the next, and it's like somebody's over there swatting you back, and you go, oh, this, this piece is wonderful, and then somebody hits you from the other side and goes, time for war. <laughs> And then somebody hits you and you go, time for a party. <laughs> and then somebody hits you and he goes, no, nope, it's time to cry. You, you don't even get to choose those things. Life is tyrannical in that sense. 
be even nice to be able to schedule when you're going to have a baby. Why does it always seem to happen in the middle of the night? And for some of us, some of those babies are surprises. I know my uh, my aunt and uncle, how many years be- between the, the, their last one? Must have been like 15 years. <laughs> it's like, whoops, here's a surprise. Joanne and I were watching the migration of uh, the caribou herds in northern Canada, watching a documentary. And uh, it's funny because the caribou don't even get to choose when they go on their migration. One second, it's like, oh, it's time to go. And they head off. And if they don't do it at the right time, they can't cross the, one of the rivers. Like if the ice breaks, uh, you're in trouble. So you've got to get across the ice at the right time. And then you've got to get to the new place where you're going to give birth, give birth to little, little, little baby caribou. Life's tyrannical. And yet it's beautiful. And here's the dilemma. You see it in verse 9. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So time is beautiful and tyrannical. And yet God has put eternity into the hearts of human beings. Bound by time tossed around by time, and yet there's something eternal about us. And for Solomon, the one who writes this, he says this is incredibly frustrating to know that I have eternity set within me and yet to be bounced about by time. So human beings want to know what is the beginning of the universe? What is the end of the universe? What is going to happen in the future? By the way, animals don't care. Uh, how many of you have dogs or cats? Okay, what number are you? Dogs and cats don't care how old the universe is. They don't care. Human beings do, right? We wonder about that. Dogs and cats don't wonder, why am I here? <laughs> right? They don't, they don't care. They're just enjoying life. Or trying to start trying to stay alive, they don't care, but human beings do. Why am I here? Um, I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, "I hope I'm as good as my dog thinks I am." I like that, right? Because your dog loves you, even if you're a scoundrel. <laughs> your dog loves you. He doesn't. He doesn't know. Human beings do. Do you know why? Because God has set eternity in your heart. And so it's frustrating that we can't transcend time and are held captive by it. And in fact, God has made it to be frustrating because he wants us to only relieve our frustration in him. So he has set eternity in our hearts. And until we have a relationship with God, we're messed up. There's something missing. We're not made to live life under the sun, in the rat race, running on the hamster wheel. We're not made for that. We're made for something greater. And until you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that is missing in your life. Let me explain it another way. This is not in my notes. 
Actually, we were watching, as we were watching the documentary on the caribou, and the guys were out there with the camera, and they said they were watching a grizzly bear. And the grizzly bear was chasing the caribou. He was walking along behind the caribou, and he was waiting for a caribou to get lame or to fall behind the rest or for a little baby caribou to get away from its mother, and the grizzly bear was going to eat it. And uh, so they were looking at the grizzly bear, and I was thinking to myself, if I was that bear, I would be thinking, there's some puny humans over there (laughs) that are slower than caribou. And as soon as I thought that, the bear looked straight into the camera (laughs) and started walking towards the cameraman. And as soon as it happened, the cameraman picked up the camera and he started walking backwards. And the bear started running towards them. And the cameraman says, whatever we do, we can't turn and run. Because then he'll charge. And they phoned right away for the helicopter. (laughs) And the helicopter had to come and pick them up. Because the bear had lost the back of the herd and, and was now tracking them. Now, the, bird, the bear has no choice because the bear is hardwired that he's got to eat a massive amount because then he's got to hibernate. And that's built right into him. I got to eat, I got to eat, I got to eat a pile, I got to eat a pile because I got to sleep for the winter. There's a slow human, he's going to chase it. Now, Just like the bear is hardwired to eat as much as he can in the summertime, human beings are hardwired to have a relationship with God. It's built into you. That's why people all over the globe worship things. That's why religion has been such a big deal throughout human history. It's almost like we don't have a choice. We need something bigger than ourselves that we have to worship and we have to pursue. It's built right into us, just like, just like eating a pile and hibernating is built into the bear. It's built into you to worship God. And you will find something to worship. You will. And you will be frustrated if you don't. And if you don't find a connection with God, you'll be frustrated with life. He has set eternity in our hearts, and that is frustrating. Notice verse 11. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We want to understand it. We want to know it all. But there is elusiveness to creation and to the created order that we cannot solve and we cannot figure out. Uh, we want to know the future. Oh, we want to know, and it's so frustrating. All my life, uh, preachers have been saying the Lord was going to return. When I was a kid, my, uh, my teacher told me, my, my grade two teacher, said to me, God, Jesus Christ is going to return in the year 1972. I believed him until 1973. <laughs> he was wrong. And then, you hear, then, then we heard about year 2000. He's going to return in the year 2000. Which kind of, it kind of made sense because the Old Testament, there's 4,000 years there and 
New Testament, they're 2,000 years there, 6,000 years. So the thinking was, okay, 6,000 years for men and 1,000 years for the reign of Jesus. It makes nice 7,000. He didn't return in the year 2000. Uh, It's now 2017. Uh, People are still saying he's going to return this year. Maybe, but it could be 50 years. could even be 200. It's frustrating to people that we don't know. It's really frustrating. What's going to happen? How long is the universe going to last? Those are questions human beings want to know. Well, what, what then should we do? Notice Solomon's advice. Verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. The wise person finds joy in life each and every day in the small and the everyday things. So that's, that's the one thing we should be doing every day, enjoying this day and all the great things that happen in it. He says, eat and drink. <clears throat> uh, enjoy the things of every day. Enjoy walks, reading, eating, drinking. Enjoy school. How many of you enjoy school? You don't enjoy school, Grace? Enjoy it. Enjoy friendships. And enjoy work. How many of you enjoy work? You better find find something fun in work because you're going to be doing it a lot. Find joy in the small and everyday things of life. Of course, Solomon finds this frustrating too. He finds it frustrating because it's not completely within your power to enjoy the everyday things of life. He says that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. You have no guarantee that you will ever enjoy another donut with your coffee. I can't tell you the number of uh, seniors that tell me, Pastor, I don't enjoy eating at all. number of seniors tell me that. They lose their taste. They don't want to eat. And I keep saying, I know, but you got to. Force it down. (laughs) You can't stop eating. Finally, why does God design life this way? Verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Why does God design life this way? So that we will fear him. Reverence Him. Honor Him. The father and fiddler on the roof sang this, Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. Swiftly fly the years. One season following another, laden with happiness and tears. Round and round life goes. But there's a little chorus that says this, In His time. In His time. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time. In case we miss the message, as he ends the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer of the book says this, of making many books there is no end and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So at the end of the day, if you just live life under the sun, you go, this is meaningless. But we have to live in a different way. We have to live our lives above the sun, where we live it in relationship to Jesus Christ and to God our Father. He has expectations for our life, demands that he has put upon us, and he will one day see if we line up with what he has commanded us to do. James A. Michener said this. This is the man's point of view. Space is limitless. It goes on forever. Always remember that you and I live on a minor planet attached to a minor star at the far edge of a minor galaxy. We live here briefly, then we're gone. We're forgotten. One day the galaxies will be gone too. The only reality that makes sense is to do something useful with the brief time we're allotted. I would say to Mr. Michener, if your view of the universe is correct, the only morality that makes sense is to do whatever you want because it's not going to matter. But we were made not to be on a minor star in a minor galaxy, live a brief life, and then be forgotten. We were made to be eternal. And so what we do has eternal consequences. That's why you have to do something useful with your life. Live for God. Fear Him. Keep His commandments. Put your faith in Jesus Christ because He has made demands on you.